Welcome to the True Crime Birth Podcast, where we share the injustices and crimes against women throughout history in the most vulnerable setting one can be in, the setting of childbirth. From the 1900s to current times, we will recall these tragic and problematic birth stories, bringing to light the dark history of birth in our society. This podcast comes with a trigger warning and is not suitable for those who may have unresolved birth trauma. This episode is featuring Anna Stewart, the author of The Midwife of Auschwitz, and she speaks about her book, which is based on a true story of a Polish Catholic midwife who was sent to Auschwitz for helping Jews in the ghetto. She ended up bringing 3,000 babies safely into the world inside the concentration camp. So I have the pleasure of introducing Mrs. Joanna Barnden, a.k.a. Anna Stewart, the author of many books, including The Midwife of Auschwitz, which we are going to be highlighting today. Hi. Hi. So go ahead and just tell us about um, this amazing book and how it came to be. Start from the beginning. (laughs) Well, like you say, um, I've written a number of World War II novels now. I think uh, this was the fifth one that came out. And when I was researching for other ones, I happened to stumble across the real life story of a woman called, I'm not very good at pronouncing it because it's Polish, but Stanislava Lesinska. Um, who is, I, I renamed her Anna Kaminsky in the novel because we felt um, that was a sort of more sensitive way of doing it. But very much um, the large majority of what happens to her in the novel um, is is based strongly on a, a an amazing real life woman. And when I started reading about her, I couldn't really believe it. She was a midwife, a Polish Catholic midwife who lived in Łódź in Poland, um, which was obviously occupied by the Germans and the Jews um, in that town, as in all the towns in occupied um, Nazi Germany and the Nazi occupied territories were forced into a ghetto and bit by bit, you know, over a few months made to live in hideous, overcrowding, horrible conditions. They were obviously started to be being shipped out. They thought to work camps, as it turns out, largely to to death camps um, and Um, When I first started looking into Auschwitz, I thought that people were more ignorant about it than they were. But I think a lot of rumours were flying around about what was going on and how poorly, terribly the Jews were being treated. And she and her family um, wanted to help and they were helping to try and smuggle people out of the ghetto or just to get food into the ghetto just to try and help a little bit and particularly as she was a midwife obviously lots of women giving birth and and so she was doing her best to try and help the Jews in the ghetto which the Nazis didn't take very kindly to so she eventually and um, several of her sons were arrested and she ends up sent to Auschwitz um, and when she gets to Auschwitz, um, she discovers, obviously, again, lots of women in there um, who are having babies. And I couldn't believe it when I, I read it. I knew a bit about Auschwitz then, not as much as I do now. I've been there um, when I was researching for the novel. It's a heartbreaking place. Um, it's really terrible to visit, but also exceptionally important I think um, and it really sort of brought it home to me before I started writing the novel quite what a hideous place it is but then when I read the fact that she brought 3,000 babies into the world in Auschwitz and by her own testimony she was a very 
private person didn't speak much about it as many people that went through these things didn't in the times afterwards but her son who was also a doctor persuaded her to make a statement later in life and she talked about it and she said that she'd estimated it was around 3,000 babies and not one of those babies or mothers died in the birthing now obviously they died um in a lot of you know sort of immediately after the babies had little food they weren't provided any rations the mothers weren't given any extra rations or indeed any rations at all if they weren't working so not many of the babies survived once they'd been born but during the actual process of giving birth she didn't lose a single baby which is an absolute miracle given the conditions in Auschwitz they weren't given any I mean hot water was basically come by there was typhus there was all sorts of diseases the women barely had blankets those women that were pregnant were trading they got one crust of bread a day and they were trading that to try and get fabric to make nappies diapers you know for the babies um, and and to get extra bits of stuff to help with the birthing which we all know is um, a horrible not horrible it's a I've given birth twice um, it's a <laughs> wonderful experience but I would not have wanted to do it in a hideous barrack on a cold concrete pipe um but yeah. this woman Anna was such a calm by all accounts um clever woman at her trade she, she was already in her 50s I think when she went into Auschwitz so she was a very experienced midwife but also you know obviously quite old in that period to be surviving on all the mm -hmm. you know the terrible conditions in Auschwitz she wasn't Jewish so she was given um, a few more privileges she was allowed to receive parcels so she, she got a slightly better conditions than the Jews who were obviously treated terribly but not much better and she survived mm -hmm. in Auschwitz for two years and, and brought all these babies in she stood up by all accounts to Joseph Mengele who's famous for being um, hideous doctor who sent a lot of people to their deaths and experimented did horrible experiments on twins and many hideous things that we know about she seems to have stood up to him and he seems to have respected her for her sort of professionalism and um when she arrived people that have, I won't give too much away but when she first <laughs> arrives they are um it's it heartbreaking stuff they're basically particularly if a Jewish mother gives birth they were just drowning the babies in buckets immediately afterwards of which is obviously impossible hell to imagine when you've just brought a baby into the world and then just to have it killed right there in front of you um so I the more I read about her the more I thought that this was a a phenomenal story you know the sort of someone bringing life into the death camps and not something that we ever really think about as being uh, possible. Um, and, it, and it really happened. So I felt that it was yeah. really important that we sort of told that story. And then looking into her a little bit more, I discovered the fact again in her testament that she gives later, she talks about the fact that they tattooed the mother's numbers in secret onto the babies in the vague hope that some mothers might survive and that some babies might survive. The babies were probably fairly likely to survive because they were given to good German families um, but, but still given to people uh, um, blame there uh, more or less how ignorant people were very difficult to know but nonetheless they were given to people who looked after the babies so the babies were likely to survive they wouldn't know who they were they would assume that they were German babies but they would have this number tattooed on them and then hopefully the mother would be able to find them if they were really lucky yeah. and, and you know I think it's hope a lot of it's about hope a lot of it was about 
finding ways to believe that this hell might be over at some point and that there might be some thread of hope in the future and it yeah. took me more research to find out where I didn't know where on the baby and, and obviously babies aren't very big and if you've not got nappies and and you've not got clothing even for the babies how do you hide a number when people are taking them away and then I came eventually across the reports that um suggested that it'd been in the armpit which made sense to me that you know the sort of yeah putting a tattooing needle into a tiny little newborn's beautiful soft skin is terrible but it was less terrible than you know think just thinking that they were going to disappear and you were you were never going to see them again so um that's why I, I thought I wanted to tell it. And then um, in, in order to sort of tell the story more fully, we, uh, there are two viewpoints in the novel. One is the midwife and the other one is her Jewish friend, Esther, who is an, an invented, a fictional character, but representative of many, many women um, who went through the sort of things that Esther went through. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, that way, that enabled me to then enter it from a the sort of Jewish point of view and in the ghetto and experiencing all the terrible horrors of the Holocaust. And also sh- she is a mother and she gives birth in Auschwitz. Um, so adding that sort of second strand enabled me to, to sort of fill, fill the story out a little more. And so mm-hmm. The Midwife of Auschwitz as a novel was born. Wow. Yeah, that's a ton of research that you had to do. I, I was going to ask what, how how long did it take you to like fully dive in and research all of this? Um, I, I, for a start, I love, I love researching. Um, I, I really, it's, you know, one of the sort of pleasures of the job as it were and, and sort of finding these, these little nuggets. And honestly, when I first found her, I rang my editor up and said, oh, I found this story. Someone must've done it already. Someone must've told it. And we searched around and I just couldn't really believe that no one, had yeah. told it before so I was like oh gosh we got to got to do it so then yes it, it's very important if you're going to start entering history I mean even in a fictional capacity for me at least it's very important to get it as as real as I possibly can so I read an awful lot of things about Auschwitz like I say we traveled um my husband and I went to Poland and went to Auschwitz and met there was a w- wonderful guide there a Polish American guy um, who just gave me so much information and showed me which barracks and there's a, a road outside Auschwitz that's named after her which again makes it seem more astonishing that people don't know more about her or didn't hopefully those people that read the book will know more about her um, yeah. so on the whole I mean at the moment I'm writing three novels a year so there's only so much time for research um, but luckily there's been an awful lot awful lot written about well Auschwitz in particular and the conditions in Auschwitz and Mengele not very much about Stanislava um Mm -hmm. but then that was that was my little my niche in uh, in Auschwitz and and the the idea and and I like I I always write about women and and the way that um the war has affected women in different ways and those I like those um those little stories that we don't really think about normally and then when you actually delve into them you're like oh my goodness (laughs) like I thought Auschwitz was bad enough and then I think about somebody giving birth there and having a baby and trying to love a baby and and you know all of those nurturing feelings that you have when you've just given birth and uh, yeah and and then you're in a uh, so either you're struggling to keep your baby alive or 
um, the babies are taken away. So, so the reason why the babies were taken away was something called the Lebensborn program, which was um, fascinating to me again when I found out about that, that mm -hmm. the Germans were obsessed with creating more of the master race, the Aryan blonde, blue-eyed master right. race that were going to take over the world. And, um, and unfortunately for them, an awful lot of their men were being killed on the Russian front because, you know, they'd invaded and they were having a thankfully hard time in Russia so they were losing men um, at a high mm -hmm. rate and so they were increasingly obsessed with getting more babies born for the Aryan race so a uh, terrible story I mean they kidnapped thousands of children particularly across Poland Poland had a very bad time in the war um, just took them from people in the hazard all ages up to you know sort of five or six not much older because they wanted them to, to be able to be brainwashed um, into being right. Aryan um, but um, and then they started taking the babies, if they were blonde, um, from the concentration camp um, to sort of feed into this machine of generating good little children for the fatherland. Um, and so that that's sort of what it all got all got tied into. So, again, this thought of them just believing they had the right to take people's children and make them their own is just astonishing it's it's insane and it's happened in other countries too but this is like it happened so quickly and it happened like and everybody just seemed to be in agreement towards it and it was just like this very niche idea of like blonde hair blue eyes when it's like a lot of other races have blonde and hair Hitler wasn't even blonde there's, there's the, oh there's... right yeah <laughs> um oh but... my gosh it's crazy to think about and I think I think one reason why as a society we don't talk about like the births and the mothers of Auschwitz and of the Holocaust is because it's the worst thing mm -hmm. you could think of. That's like, yeah. there's, there's not much else. And maybe I'm biased because I am a mother, but I was like, I cried during this book because I All was right. just, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it's just so like, you don't, you can't imagine that happening. And just like the specific way that it happened with the buckets was just like, oh my gosh, like after like I stopped the book and I Googled it because I was like, really? Like actual just like, yeah, like they were vermin or something. And it was just like horrific that a woman was doing this and I guess she was ordered, right, to do it. But still to have her actually do this and wasn't she sent? Um, wasn't Clara the one who yes. was dunking the baby? Wasn't she sent there because she murdered a child? Uh, so that's, yeah, if you do the research, she's sent there because she's murdered a child. Um, I, and I, in the novel, I present it as, and I think, trying to remember whether I extrapolated this or whether it really said that basically um, she was doing illegal abortions. So she didn't... Uh, you know, whatever your take on that, she didn't murder a child. Okay. She was doing abortions. Okay. Um, and okay. I think to be fair, to some extent, abortions on people who had been raped by um, invading Germans. So that there is a, uh, as with anything, when someone is hideous, it's often because something bad has happened to them. And um, right. I, I dropped in a little bit of that, but also uh, she was just a very unpleasant and damaged woman I and mean, she's real so both Clara and Fanny are right. real um and uh documented and and the the female guards who are just so horrible as well I know we tend to think of 
women as being the loving, compassionate ones, don't we? But uh, it would appear they're just as capable of cruelty. Yeah, yeah, not always the tender beings that we're seen as, but yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know what trauma that they were put in either before that, but... but and a lot of people in Germany were very brainwashed. I mean, the right. young people have been brought up to believe that that was all true and um, right. right right or wrong. I mean, it's wrong, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, they, they were brought up to believe that. So how... Uh, it's all a very, very complicated and tricky problem. But at the end of the day, if you're a mother and you've just given birth, it's not tricky at all, is it? You just want your baby. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing to me that despite everything and despite the fact that she wasn't Jewish herself, that mm. she, that Anna, the character, put forth her whole self and didn't seem to have much fear and even against the doctors and everybody and this like what I read to be like a really scary midwife who was practicing before her she just kind of stood yes. up for what was right despite despite she was the, a Catholic yeah. she was a very Christian woman and I right. think you know she had um her beliefs to sort of support her and and she appears to have been very very strong in them in fact um they are considering saint sainting her sanctifying her um, I saw she, that yeah, yeah, in the lineup to to be sanctified, she's one down, which I think is canon, canonization. I'm I'm no expert, um, but I I know that she deserves it. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, um, that's so and, true. And yes, you're right. Partly for her her bravery and just saying what so many many people didn't dare to do at the time. This is this is wrong, and I'm mm -hmm. not going to let it happen. Um, mm -hmm. and, or at least I'm going to do everything I can to make it easier to stop it, to, to try and alleviate some of the suffering. And um, that's that's a pretty amazing thing to do. So, uh, yeah, and she survived, and and she went back to Woods, and she was a midwife um, for many years afterwards. Um, so, just a, a woman that got on and did her duty and brought thousands mm -hmm. of babies into the world, um, which is amazing <laughs> yeah yeah thank god it it's too bad it she wasn't more in charge of the whole situation and but <laughs> but i'm glad she was there for for the women and the people that she was a soft spot that wasn't given yes so yes. despite having your baby ripped away at least there was somebody there who cared about that happening yeah and let's let them have that why well, I suppose tried to to me what also stuck out was that even in the horror and even if you know you're unlikely to keep this baby it's still that moment of of birth right. still given to them and is it worse or uh, I, I guess amidst all the horror you know that's still that right. moment holding your baby and um trying at least to feed it many of them couldn't breastfeed because they just hadn't got enough food right. for their own bodies let alone to sustain a baby um but right. uh, but yeah she gave them a few days of joy moments of joy um and maybe that's just enough to sustain you you know people did survive not very many um but people yeah. did um yeah and, and quite a lot of women survived um so yeah i don't know it seems impossible to have survived such a horrific thing that happened and 
just the amount of abuse that occurred. If if they were eating, I don't know that they would have been able to breastfeed either just from the stress, like the yes. what that does to your body. Yeah. Um no, yeah, it, it just like and and no, I mean the beds they slept on, they slept on slatted. You see, if you go to Auschwitz, you you see them and, and just these acres of wooden, plain wooden slatted beds which had mattresses, you know, nominally nominal straw mattresses and they beds that should you know a double bed double-sized bed um with 10 more women in and when you're pregnant um that's you know even worse you can't sleep at the best of times <laughs> um that, that's even worse so um and i mean again pregnancy feels quite long when you're in a nice warm house with people to care for you so what it must have felt like and and what also intrigues me is uh, what's very interesting is that a lot of pregnant, so most of these women, a few women were unfortunate enough to be made pregnant by the German guards, but most of them mm -hmm. arrived at Auschwitz pregnant and presumably around, you know, up to sort of five months, so not massively showing they, they could get away with it. And mm -hmm. most of them seemed to have survived the selection, so i.e. they were deemed fit to work. And, and so I guess there's something about... Um, looking fit and healthy and, and glowing that did actually sort of get them through. And, and it slightly right. fascinated. Well, if they realised women were pregnant when they arrived, straight to the gas chambers. But a lot of women seem to have made it through the selections without them picking up that they were pregnant. And then, you know, they do seem to have gone on and let them... There are a lot of contradictions in, in Auschwitz in uh, who they chose right. to kill uh, of the many yeah. that they sent to the gas chamber. And it's sort of fascinating that, um, you know, they let anyone um, give birth at all, but they did. <laughs> and uh, and a few of them, a few of them survived. I wonder if you, in your research, or if anybody has ever come to you and said that, that they were one of the babies who survived. Have you found any stories of... So um, I found a number of stories of babies, kidnapped babies who were reunited with their mothers after the war. Uh, I have found no concrete story of a named person who was recovered after Auschwitz. Um, okay. That doesn't mean it didn't happen because I, I was mm -hmm. astonished when I read, obviously I, I'm British and in Britain after the war, um, similar, I suppose, to America, kind of obviously lots of people have lost people. There's been a lot of tragedy, but our day-to-day -day lives went back to normal, a bit of rationing in, in Britain at least, went back to normal relatively quickly. Whereas in Europe, until I started researching this, I didn't really register that there were more than 40,000 people who were in the wrong country, in the wrong place, who'd fled or been sent to concentration camps or been they changed borders of countries and kicked people out um, or just been in hiding. Um, so there was Europe after the war for 10 years was a mass of people, many, many of them, women and children, um, trying to get their way home or get a new home or they didn't want to live. Their home had now become communist and they didn't necessarily want to live in the communist regime. So trying to find somewhere safe to go so the whole place was a, a chaos and there were a lot of organizations trying to match family members up with each other because of course it, when I came to write it and I, I, towards the end of the book um, when that people are trying to find each other after the war 
and there's mm-hmm. there's no phones there's no internet <laughs> there's no you know that yeah. in the end there were people stuck up notices in the synagogues and the churches and there were organizations trying to chase people down but there was it was very difficult um finding people and once you did it it wouldn't necessarily get recorded because just someone's friend mm-hmm. said oh so right. sadly i have not as yet i, I cannot point to um a, a single baby from Auschwitz who was reunited with their mother but I am working on the assumption that some did and uh, and there's a book to follow that uh, might be addressing yes that. yes <laughs> so quickly tell us about what's coming up well Midwife Auschwitz was always intended just to be um, a standalone book um, because it felt like a fairly complete story um, and actually, initially, because I'm a bit sentimental, um, I did have, uh, I'm, like, I'm going to give things away here for people that haven't read it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, spoiler uh, alert. But, yeah, spoiler yeah. alert, if you don't want to know. Um, but my initial plan was for her to find Pippa at the end, and I was um, encouraged by my editor to step away from that idea. And they were they were right, because... Um, there was so much suffering and so much sadness that to, it felt a little trite to have such a, a simply easy um, ending. So mm-hmm. we didn't. So and then I had a lot of um, really lovely messages from readers and particularly a lot of people saying to me, what happened to Pippa? Who, who's her baby? Um, you know, will she, will she ever find Pippa? Did she ever find Pippa? So it, it started to niggle at me and I was like, oh, yes, you know what? <laughs> that would be very interesting. Um so for the sequel, we are moving on 18 years to um, 1961 in Berlin, which happens to be the year that the Berlin Wall goes up. So um, oh, we're going cool. to be revisiting um, both Olivia, who's the baby, another baby from Auschwitz, <laughs> and um, Pippa, once they're sort of getting to the same age that Esther is at the start of, of The Midwife of Auschwitz, and um, right. just seeing how the fallout and, and what's happened in between and, and whether they will ever, ever get to um, get back together, shall we say. So that's been really, really fun to write, actually. Um, it's another, another hard period in history um, with mm-hmm. lots of people but luckily no 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 drowned babies this time <laughs> yeah thank goodness for that but I'm so excited about the sequel like it's like the whole last two chapters I was like this isn't almost over like I can't let this be almost over because it because you're right it, the whole book had so much tragic experiences in it that it would have been an easy ending to be like and everything is perfect and here's this baby but it left me, you know, have to pause and like look back on the whole book as a whole when it didn't end with her finding her baby yet. And there was just like that glimmer of hope. And it reminded me of just the fact that throughout this whole time period, that's all people had was just like that glimmer of hope. So I think it was good how you ended it. It it felt dishonoring. The suffering and the tragedy that so many people went yeah. through to make it make it too easy. I don't. I don't think it wasn't easy. People did find each other after right. all, but rarely, rarely did any Jew that had been involved in the Holocaust, yeah. in particular, but um, get through the war without losing 
some family members, many, most family members. So, uh, right. yeah, it felt felt important to sort of stay, stay to keep it real. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but <laughs> there's another novel to come, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see what what happens. Um, but it's been <laughs> been really really interesting, and actually, um, the novel I'm going to write next is about um, a group of orphans from Auschwitz and other concentration camps who were brought to Great Britain after the war. Um, there was. Oh around 700 children brought to Great Britain to be given orphans, um, to be given a sort of new chance at life. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a bit more positive. That's a, a bit yeah. more a good story. Um, so I get to treat myself with that one next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is some positivity that happened in that time period, but yeah, I, I love it. I love that you're continuing on with these stories and giving all of these people voices who, like you said, there was no internet. There was there was no way to have a voice, and these were women, so they barely had a voice anyway. Correct. And yeah, I think they'd be happy and to what you're to what you're doing. Um, do you know a title to your new book, the sequel? I or is that not that's it, it, not yet in debate. Um, I believe I don't um, choose. It's got a working title, but um, okay, it's the publishers that do the titles so um and I found out last week that it may be changing and I don't know what to yet so um okay as soon as I, know, I will let you know <laughs> okay good it, yes, it's coming please. out coming out later in the year in the autumn sometime I think perfect I'm excited for it um so before I scheduled this with you I had some of my followers reach out and ask questions that they oh. would want to ask you themselves. So I'm just gonna go ahead and let you answer these. Okay. The first question is, how did you decide on alternating Anna and Esther's perspectives for progressing the storyline and moving through some large time gaps? And I know you touched on this a little bit ago about sharing both of their perspectives. Yes, and, and um, one young woman and one older woman uh, and the sort of the idea of one of the things that really interests me around all of this is concept of family and it's going to come into the sequel quite a lot because it looks deals with you know sort of the aftermath of the war and family and what makes family and, and adoptive families and step families and fostering and and you know mm -hmm. the fact that it doesn't blood is obviously a, a huge connection um but that you know you can forge other bonds that can work right. just as strongly and um i think the idea of alternating them was um to be able to explore that and just to have the two um perspectives on it so particularly uh, initially i wasn't I, I was astonished when i found out about the ghettos to my shame um i didn't really know much about the fact that jews were all corralled into ghettos uh, and another hideous thing and and when i mm -hmm. there's a lot of information on the woods ghetto and it's it's fascinating um and so obviously then i needed to have someone because she was outside the ghetto and trying to help people it seemed so logical to have someone who was inside the ghetto so that right and you can see the whole story in a round um so so particularly for sort of um when, when we decided to open it out a little bit and start in in the ghetto before they get to Auschwitz um then it, it felt in, important to be able to see the story from from both sides um so yeah that was why really and it keeps up the interest doesn't it I quite like doing two viewpoints because uh, you can like like I said it, you can skip times and you can see things yeah and it, 
leave things hanging a little bit more so uh, I enjoy writing from two perspectives um, do it yeah it, it made me feel like it was more like immersive as well like I felt like I was more in the middle of this conversation or relationship between these people and um, how there was still people who were of different ethnicities or backgrounds or religions and still were very close and loving and family, like you said, yeah. Um, Let's see, one of the other uh, comments was, how long did it take you to research the details? And you touched a little bit about that. Do you have like a time frame that it took you to research or has this been just like? Well, I get, um, generally speaking, I'm a, I'm a planner when it comes to novel writing. Um, so generally speaking, I research fairly intensively for a couple of months and then I put together a chapter plan really quite a full chapter plan have a think about it um mm-hmm. which which seems you need to talk to my editor about it and then I write the novel then I so I've done a lot of the work and then I usually write the novel in about a month um because I've already done wow a lot of a lot of the work so I I'm, yeah um not a I like to know where it's where it's going to be. That's not to say that it doesn't diverge a little bit sometimes, but particularly when you're doing history, you know, and the dates are set and you kind of know what mm-hmm. the parameters are of real life. Um, I find that important. So generally speaking, a couple of months of research, a month or so of, of planning and preparatory work and type and then a month a month to write and then then editing and tidying it up and changing right. things and <laughs> sorting out the spelling and all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um so that's very cool um so let's see the other one is is there anything you would like to add to the book now that it's already published and this may already be the reason why you're doing a sequel but is there anything is that it is there anything you look back at the book and you're like oh I should have mentioned that um it's a really good question (laughs) um (laughs) I've had other books this is quite tight and I think there's only so much so I've been having to read about Auschwitz again for writing the Windermere stuff and I think there's only so much of it you can take actually um mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of it was about leaving things out um so we had a horrible discussion about the rats so the rats in Auschwitz were apparently the size of cats great big horrible rats and they nibbled on people before they were dead and it's all horrible and they obviously when the babies were drowned they ate the babies so I end up in an editorial discussion can we have rats eating the babies and we decided no no Uh, there's there's (laughs) only we can have rats and we can have to have dead babies because that's what happened um but when when there's only only so far you can go so there were things that we chose to leave out and actually um I'm glad we did um because yeah you don't have to you don't have to dwell in it you have to show it and be right. about it and honor it but I don't I, so I, I think a lot of it there were things we cut out that um I'm glad we cut out more than more than things that I and there are so many there are you know there were way hundreds of heartbreaking stories from the ghetto and from Auschwitz that um mm-hmm. had to make a decision not to put in um but again there's only yeah. something you can do. So, and, it, and there's more books to come at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad you didn't put those graphic details in because just the buckets alone, like I, 
um, had my husband read it and was like, look, <laughs> look what happened. Like, can you believe this happened? Well, that's, and we and that's just, the thing you come back to every time. This is yeah, real. I didn't make I it know. Up. Yeah, it's I crazy. And I know, and I can only imagine that it's that it was so much worse in so many other aspects that I don't know if my heart can take reading all of it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot. It, it's um, the endlessness of it, I think. I read a yeah. beautiful poetic book by a survivor about it, and she said, you can never explain it to someone else because you can explain one, but the fact it happened uh -huh. again and again and again, day after day after day after day, you can never convey that to someone right. that wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, another question was, this book should be a film. Does the author anticipate there would be one? Oh, I would, that, I'd love that. <laughs> not, not in my power. And, and there is actually, there is a film called, I think it's called The Angel of Auschwitz that is meant to be about her. Um, but it's not very good in my personal opinion. And okay. uh, it focuses, it, it's one of those classic, um, I almost, I'm going to assume that it has a male production team around it because a lot of it focuses on Mengele and her standing up to mm -hmm. Mengele. She did do, but it's a that's a tiny bit of, of what happened. I think he was just, right. you know, one of the guards um, and it focuses on that because I think um, Mengele is a, a name that people know, whereas in fact what she mm -hmm. did was way bigger and, and rounder and more important than that. So yeah. for her sake, I would love to see it as a film and obviously it would be a dream come true if somebody made made a film of it um and um i have an agent who talks to film people but the how these things work is uh is mysterious um so yeah we shall well i'm hoping it for it i'm i'm manifesting that there's going to be a film because i would love to see it Amazing. and i would love to see her and women like her be represented more in film about that time period because you're right a lot of it is about the doctors and the guards and yeah. the viciousness of the men, um, but not not a lot else. So yeah. it would be really interesting. Yes. Well, wow. you know, if you know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my eye out, yeah. Um, well, I love the book. And I love that you wrote it and you told her story and that you were her voice. Thank um, you. And I want to know, I want everybody to know where to find this book and how to follow you for the sequel because I'm I'm going to be on the pre-order list. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, Amazon mainly uh, it mainly sells to Amazon. Those people that are on Kindle Unlimited, it, it's on Kindle Unlimited. I think all of my World War Two novels are on Kindle Unlimited now. Um, and in terms of finding me, I'm on Twitter um, as Anna Stewart Books. And I'm on Instagram as Anna Stewart author, and I have a website which is um, annastewartbooks.com. Um, so uh, I'm on Instagram most days these days. So uh, if anybody wants to get in touch, I always really love to hear from readers because, like, the book doesn't exist without readers, really, does it? So um, it's always great if people like to get in touch and let me know how they found it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode on the True Crime Birth Podcast. Stay tuned every other Friday for the next episode. If you have a tragic birth story to share, don't hesitate to reach out and schedule an episode.